Apple presents events at the Apple Store. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome our guest moderator this evening, Kelly Hoey from Women Innovate Mobile and this evening's panel. Thank you, Josh. Great to be here this evening. I'm Kelly Hoey, uh, the co-founder, one of the co-founders of Women Innovate Mobile. We are a New York City-based accelerator, and we invest in early stage companies at the seed stage. Um, and uh, the name should give it away. We invest in mobile or mobile first companies, and we uh, invest in founding teams that have a woman on them. So yeah, I have a bias on who I think experts are um, and uh, what I think a CEO looks like. Um, all this talk of startups and founding companies um, and all the press on how glamorous our lives are, um, I thought it would be fun tonight to talk about the realities of being a startup CEO, which is a little bit different than being simply a founder. So we'll go down the list here of who we've got. Um, we have Kathy, CEO and co-founder of Local Response, a company, woo, I know, um, a company, that they <laughs> We like having the cheering squad here. Um, a company that helps marketers respond to real-time consumer intent. And this is not your first startup. That's right. You're, you're experienced at this. I'm a glutton for punishment, clearly. <laughs> um, then we have Lily, uh, co-founder of Public Stuff, which helps cities transform the relationship with residents through technology. And you started your career in government. Yep, completely different. So um, this is definitely a new experience for me, but... Right, when we talk about your path, your pa yes, we've got cheering section. Woohoo! Keep going. We love this. Um, we then have Kelly. We love this. Two Kellys on the panel. Kelly is the CEO and founder of uh, Loverly, the first bridal search engine, which launched in 2012. It's and Valentine's Day, 2012. <laughs> Perfect day. And your background is in bridal PR. Yes. Before Loverly, I worked in bridal PR. My sister actually is also a female CEO, and she runs a, a PR firm in the wedding space. Yeah, and talk about how you got your idea. Nothing like being the maid of honor. And um, I'm say bonus on the uh, panel tonight, uh, Claudia uh, Batten, who is here from Boulder, Colorado. Woohoo, Boulder, Colorado. 15 years in technology. Um, you were the co-founder of Massive, which sold to Microsoft. So this is we got serious entrepreneur here. Co-founder of Victor and Spoils, which was acquired by Havas, so, and now you're waiting Seeing to how many startups I can start at once. <laughs> <laughs> so we'll talk about that as well. Um, so does the title of CEO mean anything? I'm only looking down there at Claudia, but what do you do on a day-to-day -day basis? I'm going to start with you, Kathy. And then you're like, oh, God, why are you starting that question? I warned you there were questions. Yes. I questions warned you. I must answer. Yeah, questions um, you must answer. I know which one you don't want to answer, and I'm still going to ask you it. So, don't ask me about balance. Work life. <laughs> no, we're not. We don't discuss that. Okay. So, like, what are your day-to-day -day responsibilities as a startup CEO? So, um, I'm sure everyone can attest to no day is the same. Um, for me, it's anything from investor relations, to HR, hiring, um, working on our strategy, technology, data. Um, it's kind of all over the map every single day and every single day is really different but that's something i really love about it and and you've recently this is in the past what six twelve months i'm like uh, i remember when we got the announcement you, you took over that's the right. ceo role that's right so i became ceo in july prior to that i was co-founder and president of the company same job new title no actually <laughs> which is good 
um, it, it is it is good to to be in charge, truly in charge. That's different. Um, and now my bosses are the VCs, of course, which they were before. But now it is nice to to be able to be in charge of my own domain, truly. Awesome, Lily. Same question. It's that's a tough question because it does vary. I think um, right now our big focus, one of the big levers in the company, is sales, and so I trying to really dive deep in that. And so while my day is um, a variety of things, investor relations, email, hell, um, <laughs> product, but I'm really trying to get deeper and carve out at least 50% of my time on product and sales. So, All right. Kelly, day to day. And, and so you launched in 2012, so we're... 18 months, 19 months in. And the title of CEO feels really silly when you are one person. It's embarrassing when you're like, oh, I'm the CEO of this company. CEO of one person. <laughs> um, and so the role really has evolved as the company has grown from you know one to four to seven to now we're at 15. Um, but it, it's basically jack of all trades. Whatever needs to get done, sometimes that's even being the janitor. Um, so I, I say that I do the job that no one wants to do and everything all at once. But... Traditionally, you know, my days are split between either fundraising, HR, operations, hiring. Um, but at the end of the day, you know, my job is to really assemble a great team and um, create a big vision and get everyone excited about that. And then, you know, there's a lot of things I have to do to make sure that we actually have a team and we can pay the team. Um, but it's vision, strategy, and um, assembling an awesome team. So Claudia, you've been you've been I want to say the co-founder of a flat organization. So there really wasn't a CEO. So well, yeah. So we're trying. I feel like I'm the counterpoint. I agree with everything everyone said here. And what we're trying to do with Broadly.com is create a flat structure so that we don't have a CEO and that we all collaborate with the vision, with the day to day, with what we're doing, and just figure out who needs to run point on various things. Do we all need to come together and evolve the vision, evolve the strategy? Um, we were up pretty late last night on one strategic thing. And it's, it's really interesting running that way. Like we're all trying to be conscious of all of these things that we've mentioned, but also do it in a way that we're all pushing the vision forward. And, and frankly, you know, it's, it's sometimes harder because you've got to hear out everyone else and it, it, you get to a, an amazing place at the end, but it's, it's kind of infuriating when you're in the middle of it. It's just like, how is this going to come together? So it, it's an, an experiment, um, but we're excited about where it might go. So, you know, and I put the question out there and anyone can jump in first so we don't kind of do like the dating game, you know, bouncing the questions down. <clears throat> Excuse me. Um, what are the traits of a good startup CEO? I'll take it first. Um, so definitely having a vision that the whole team can rally around is really important. It's something that we lacked before. You know, there were people that thought we were doing one thing and another group of people thought we were doing something else. So rallying the team around a common vision was the, the first thing that I did. And the other... I would say is having integrity, you know, being honest and operating with integrity is really, really huge for me. And then third, last but not least, of course, passion, passion for what we're doing, passion for what we're building. It gets you through the tough times if you're really passionate about what you're doing. And it, it really, it's hopefully infectious. My posse's right here. <laughs> um, <laughs> 
And having a having passion gets you through the dark times, and believing in what you're doing. And I think that that pa- that translates to the team. And it's that passion that makes startup tech press think that the job is glamorous. So. Right. Kelly, Lily, any thoughts on what makes a good startup CEO? I would say on top of passion, it's um, almost like a blind optimism, especially when you're starting. There's so many things that can go wrong, and you get doors slammed in your face all the time. You get no's, you get rejected, and still being you know, so optimistic that you can get it done, that you keep charging forward. Um, sometimes my team thinks that I'm like, they're like, what? are you taking? Because every morning you're so happy. Um, but it's like that optimism, that excitement, um, and the opportunity, being able to see the opportunity in everything. And I think um, that's critical. And that's part of the passion. And that's also what rallies the team. I think just also in response to the glamour concept, <laughs> how glamorous this job is. Um, you know, it's, it's actually brutal. <laughs> it's actually a really brutal thing to do. And you spend a lot of the time having really bad days. So as much as you might come into the office feeling good, I wrote a blog post once, today is a good day, and wrote about the bad day I had the day before. And, and you do. You come in each morning feeling very positive about what you can achieve. But the reality of it is extraordinarily intense. And I think you've got to be have a very good support network around you and be very self-sufficient and able to weather the storm because it will be a constant storm. And I was I'm the chair of the board of a New Zealand gaming company and the chairman was and the CEO was like, just as soon as we get through this problem, then it'll be good. And I'm like, dude, (laughs) you're gonna solve this problem and then there'll be another one and another one and another one. This is not stopping. (laughs) So yeah, I think it's just yeah, you've got to have the guts for it. It's so funny because as you're saying that, I'm thinking about how, you know, the difference between a good day and bad day is really nothing. Like you could go from having an amazing day and the next day is miserable, yeah. but the actual change of events that has happened, like you might have the exact same money in the bank, you might have the same amount of partners, the same employees, right? Like nothing has really changed, but it's that feeling yeah. that you're going up and down. So you definitely have to tough it out. Yeah. I Absolutely agree with that as well. Yeah. Oh no. I do think a good CEO is able to um, maintain a relatively steely calm through a lot of the things that are being thrown your way because there's a lot of bad things that happen to you that technically you don't really want your team to be concerned about or to be nervous about. So I do think that you need to maintain a certain level of calm through the storm. Be That's like important. a duck. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> what does a duck do? Calm on the surface. Paddling underneath. <laughs> no, I, was I think surfer, surfer I like legs. That. That's good. Surfer legs. You just gotta, you know, get the legs. Anyway, Lily, you were um, gonna say. Solving for constraints. That's something that I find myself doing a lot, but really acting as a conductor and realizing when people are just facing an enormous challenge or problem or they're focusing on the wrong things. And again, really understanding what those are and problem solving around that. So, yeah, absolutely. So, I mean, uh, Kelly, I know you are the founder, but everyone else being co-founders, should every founder become a CEO? Absolutely <laughs> not. like, no, no, no. <laughs> I don't think everyone's cut out to be a leader. I think, I think some people are great at coming up with ideas and, and uh, you know, can kind of be a creator, but it doesn't necessarily mean they're an operator. It doesn't necessarily mean they're able to execute against a vision, so... I've definitely worked with some of my second startup, and I would definitely not say everyone that was a co-founder should be running the company. 
I think the other thing and the reason we're trying a flat structure is I think it's a lot to ask one person to bring every quality that you need to be a CEO. And so, you know, again, I think if you can share some of those responsibilities and, it, you know, it's not perfect. We're certainly finding things that work and that don't work. And the things that work are so powerful and the things that don't, even in corporation, is interesting. We're like, oh, you actually have to pick a president at this point. So we're like, okay, how do we, how do we make that decision? But I, I just, going back to the, 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 should every founder be a CEO? I, yeah, I, I think no, possibly for a short period of time. But, you know, generally it's a lot to ask of someone just because they came up with an idea doesn't mean they have what it takes to get to the levels that you need to. I find your model really interesting. Did you guys start the company with that flat level? Yeah. Oh, you did? Yeah, we, we came together as four people and just, it, it just, it, we realized we were running the company that way. And that we, I think we all take leadership when we need to. There'll be moments where we've all got our different little mantras that we push on the company. And when we're weak at one point, I think that person steps up and brings that leadership in. Um, you know, be it simplifying what we're doing or being careful of, of money or, you know, getting something out. So it's, yeah, it's, it's been like that from day one. I'm jealous of everyone up here who has co-founders. Um, because really, initially, or when I first started out, it really feels like you're riding solo. Um, and in the last kind of six to nine months, as we've seen the organization grow, and I brought on a senior executive team, it now feels amazing to have four other people that I can just dump on. You know, like, this is what's happening. What do we do? And it's more collaborative. So um, in any at this point, any major decision that's being made, it's almost like maybe I pick the topic, but we collectively decide. Um, and that would have been really helpful early on, kind of having someone like poke me or push me. Um, so I am jealous of that. Um, but, you know, at some point as you, you know, the good thing about being a CEO is you get to pick your executive team. You get to hire your team. And so I feel grateful that I've been able to surround myself with some amazing uh, people that have helped me make those kind of tough decisions and also share a lot of those responsibilities. Yeah, and I think in the beginning when you do have a co-founder, it's as if you don't have to have all of the qualities of a perfect CEO, and you don't have to bring that to the table. So it was nice while my title was CEO and I brought on a CTO as my co-founder, we really both acted as decision makers in the company, and we took every single decision together. So Yeah, it's been really interesting to me that all, because I think when you are the CEO and with a stops with you and, and you're it at the top of the chain, what happens is you feel the weight of certain decisions and, it, and, and they feel very heavy, but also I don't know that you as yourself necessarily think through to the right solution. And there have been a number of things where I've been concerned about something and called one of the team and said, can we just talk this through? And we work through it and we get to just this, and then we bring it to the team and we work through it as a team and it's just, it's remarkable. You've got to do it quickly. You can't let this slow you down, which can be the problem. Um, but if you can get through that quickly, it's amazing how strong you feel about the solution that you come to. So one of the things I've heard a few times from all of you, of you have kind of talked down the, the row on being the CEO, is the team and hiring. Um, and so given that, and then you know, that horrible thing investors say, what do you invest in when, you know, when you ask an investor, what do you invest in? Oh, I invest in the team. And it drives you nuts when you're a startup, you know, or someone looking for funding, because that question always drives me crazy. Um, and now I get to answer it that way. Um, but what does it take to succeed on your team? 
You got to get past the row four out yeah, here. Yeah, right yeah. There. there we go. Well, I'll go down the other end. What, <laughs> Kel Kelly, what you you've now a team of fifteen. What does it take to succeed on your team? Like, what do you look for when you're hiring? So we're actually going through the process of um, hiring people at different levels. So on a senior level, on a you know entry level, and then kind of middle. And I think the one common thing that I see in there um, is you have to be okay and excited and want to be in an environment that is constantly changing. Um, you know, in startups, things move at a light speed. And roles are constantly evolving. The business is evolving. The message, I mean, everything is changing. And so you have to be really comfortable with that. And people, the only way that you really can, it's hard to see if someone is really comfortable with that. Um, and sometimes people think that they are. And then once they get into it, they're like, oh my God, everything's constantly changing. And so in hiring, that's the number one thing I say is what you're doing today might change next week might change next in, hour yeah six <laughs> weeks um and so i think that's really important too i look for people who have just the most um optimistic outlook on life i think the can-do attitude seeing how to solve problems um is mission critical um to a small team and then three is communication how can you express what your frustrations are what your needs are um do you need help with something and um, you know, if you are frustrated, how do you communicate that with the team where you don't agree with someone? How do you share that kind of maybe not so nice message? Um, so those are the three things that are, are critical at every um, level. And then obviously you look for people. There's, I mean, I can go on for hours on the different things, but th those are the three things for me that are very important. I definitely look for, there's different people that come in at different stages. So early stage, Tarika's sitting right there. She, uh, she's an early stage person that loves to come in when the road is unpaved. And that's a really different type of person than someone that will want to join my company next year. We're going to do $10 million this year. So someone that wants to come in at $10 million, you know, they want the road to be paved a little bit. Um, so maybe we're not completely mature, but we're definitely on our way. That's really different than someone that's willing to come in greenfield opportunity, have no idea how we're going to deliver revenue, and she just took the ball and ran with it. So I think people come in at different stages as well and where they're really happy and comfortable and where they thrive. But a common thread for us is always someone that wants to build a company. They have to want to contribute to that. Uh, that has to be a really important thread for them. So passion is key across everyone. And just wanting to take our company from you know A to Z and then that's something that they really thrive on. That's really important for us. Um, something that we do in our hiring, which I love, is actually group hiring. And so it's important that teamwork is so important. And it, it sounds um, like a simple rule of thumb, but we actually do it in practice. And so part of our interview process is working directly with the people that you're interviewing your position with. And so um, whether it's sales, marketing, uh, development. We actually have a variety of people interview and work with these folks, so it's a pretty intense process. Um, and how, and when, how did you decide and when did you come up with that? It was pretty organic initially. Um, because our team was pretty small uh, a couple years ago, We I just started pulling people in. I said, hey, I'm interviewing this guy. He's pretty great, but you know, since you're the one that's going to be working with him every day, why don't you spend the next hour with him? So it just started out very naturally. And, and it's become more of a process now. Um, the other thing we look for is passion. 
Um, there's nothing, hands down, every single successful hire has been passionate about the space that we're in and the product that we're working on. And which there's is, nothing is, that I want can you to talk that. about that because that's pretty unique what you're doing. Cause, yeah. yeah. Yeah, so we work with local governments, and one of the things that really drives us forward is this huge vision of changing how you can talk to your government, and it's, it's this really intangible goal that we have, and every single person needs to be passionate about civic engagement, about public discourse, about transparency, and if you're not, and, and we have hired just people brilliant in their field, but not necessarily connected to what we do. And, and you lose your passion, you lose your vision if, if you're not really connected to it. And so we now always look for that um, for every position that we're hiring for. I think, I think that's so, it's so important to almost see that look in someone's eyes when you give them to the, to the description of what you're doing and your vision. You'll, you'll see the, it in the eyes. And, you know, that's what I'm, I'm looking for that. And I also want people who want to win. Like, I'm just, you, this, this, thing, this thing of being part of a startup is a, is a, you know, the odds are not stacked in your favor. And you need people in there who have the tenacity to, to come in every day and want to win against that, against that vision that makes their eyes sparkle. Yeah, no, I, I know exactly so what you're talking about. terms with me. <laughs> <laughs> I like sparkly eyes and... <laughs> Um, the other thing I heard, because um, in terms of the first question I asked you, which was, you know, what's your day-to-day, -day, you know, tasks and responsibilities, and might have been you, Kathy, you said e dealing with email. So, given that you are having to do everything, let's, how are you dealing with some of those things that drive just a regular person completely berserk, like email and you know meetings? And prioritizing, because you know you are the caretakers of your company. You're the first line with investors. You're creating the big vision, but it's just this stuff that needs to get done. So if there's your CEO tips, you know everyone always loves those. Your CEO tips of how you're dealing with one of those things. I had a breakthrough yes. like nine months ago, um, where I felt like I couldn't. I was like, I'm doing meetings all day. I'm doing calls all day. I never get a chance to answer my email and then I'm answering my email at like 10 o'clock at night and I, I couldn't manage. Um, and um, one of the girls on my team said, you know, I used to work with this executive um, and he forced me to block out two hours on his calendar where he was not allowed to under any circumstance take a meeting, do a phone call. That was his get work done time. And it's usually from 12 to 2 for me, so I block it out there. And it's actually that I get to eat time because that's one thing that you don't do when you're just kind of rolling through meetings. Um, so being really disciplined about blocking out that 12 to 2 no matter what. Um, and also if there's an emergency, right, then you're like, I always have that window that you can, but use it very sparingly. Um, so that was something that really changed it for me. Like I actually have time to get work done and um, you have to be disciplined about it. I think the other thing is we're so conditioned to half-hour meetings or one-hour meetings, and I think if you can pull back 10 minutes from either end of those, so 20-minute meetings or 40 to 50-minute meetings, you get it's phenomenal how much email you get done in like 10 minutes. Um, so I, I think little tweaks like that I think give you more time back in the day, but I'm also a big fan of blocking time out 
my assistant always says that whenever she comes and works with me, she loses weight because I never eat. Because it's just like <laughs> constantly going. You're like, I don't have time. I need to get more email done. Yeah. yeah. Well, you do something that I'm thinking about taking. Oh, you know, I'm the which queen. Is her my queen of the auto response. Permanent auto response. So she's not on vacation. She's just busy doing other things. And I will, it's it's like, I will get back to you when I have time. That's pretty brilliant, yeah, right? You're, you're actually responding to people without responding to them. It's great. Yeah, but she gets back to you before normal people do. So she's like, it gets back to the priorities. Which stuff is a priority? It's managing my own, you know, manage, managing my own time and managing other expectations. But yeah, there was a piece and fast company and on autoresponders and... Now, and now there's the pressure because people are like, oh, yeah, queen of the autoresponse. Let's email her and see what her autoresponse is. And it's like, damn. Um, but then it was really stupid. I used to write them in a really friendly way, and then people would respond to the autoresponse. I'm like, oh, no. okay, there's a problem here. I've got to rewrite these things. So anyway, <laughs> Lily, um, you, were gonna, you, had, you had a tip here. So I have a couple just tech tricks that I've been using. One of them is boomerang on my email, which oh, is yeah. amazing. So instead of writing down little notes or uh, trying to keep track of who I need to follow up with. And um, it just boomerangs an email back to me, whether I need to follow up, they need to follow up, whatever it is. It's just a nice little reminder. The other thing, and I can't take credit for this, but we implemented this in the company recently, is Asana, which has just taken you know about 80% of my emails over to basically a work and project management system. So anything that I need to do is all tasked out and other people are copied. So if anyone else can pop in and get it done, great, they'll do it. And it's all marked and documented. And then my email is really for email. When I need to follow up to an investor or press or whatever it is, that's in my email box. And so it's been completely transformative. <laughs> We, we have to do this. I thought you were going to say, Claudia. I was just going to say the other thing I've been doing, which may sound really dorky, is um, red flagging emails so that I quickly scan through my email and I'm actually flagging. I've got a pretty good system going now. And so I can really quickly mass, like, respond to a bunch of quick things. And then I tag things as red if I need to get back to them by the end of that day. And then other things, you know, and literally some of them are green. And I'm like, it just doesn't matter if I don't get back to this. You know, it would be nice if I could. But if I don't, I'm making a conscious decision that that can be green. That's where I put your emails, Kelly. Green <laughs> or red? I'm, listen, I want the red flag. As long as it's not yellow. Warning. Yeah. I think another thing, too, is there's only so many things that you can focus on at once. And so I always tell my team, like, there's three things I can focus on. And if it's not on my, my three, it gets into the abyss and it'll come back. And, um, you know, if it's really important, you'll, it'll get on that list. And because there's no way you can juggle 20 things at once, but you can do three things. You know, you can have three initiatives going. And so I just try and narrow it down to those three things for the week, for the day, and that way you feel like you're successful. Like if I get these three things done today, check the box, I had a good day. And then, you know, similarly, maybe it's for the week or for the month, like what those bigger goals are. Um, otherwise, it just feels like you're buried under a mountain of things to do. Oh, yeah. I do the same thing. I, um, I actually don't really believe in multitasking. So I believe in actually getting one thing done at a time and kind of methodically going through my list, which I do. And I get through everything that I need to do. I'm working long hours, but I don't think multitasking is that successful. I don't think you can have a conversation with someone on your team, type an email to an investor, be on the phone. You just don't actually do anything well when you're multitasking. So for me, I actually like, do like to methodically kind of go through 
what I have on my list, and I do get everything done that way. So, you're my hero. But I am working long. <laughs> I'm working long hours. I make no mistake. I definitely never see my child anymore. But you know, I do get through my list. No, I think that is the reality, though, and it's important to state that these are long hours, and there it's. Tw- I'm like I'm 24 seven. Like you want to meet with me on a Sunday, I'm available to meet on a Sunday. It's not an issue. Like. It's so that's the trick too, by the way, because people constantly ask for time, and so not that I make it the most inconvenient for them, but I make it the most convenient for me. So I'm like, actually, Saturday at eight a.m. I get coffee every single Saturday at the same place. If you want to meet me there, and sometimes I might be wearing like pajamas, but hey, like you get my time, right. <laughs> or meet me at seven thirty, you know, before the day starts. Um, but I think it's really hard as you're managing your schedule and your time when people are constantly asking for time. It's like, can I meet you one o'clock on a Friday? It's like, it's the middle of the day. Like, precious yeah, the precious time. Exactly. I'm, I'm trying to remember the, uh, the name of the tool that I use. And I is it schedule once. I think I'll, I'll email you. It's been a lifesaver on the scheduling thing. Because um, I gave a very cursory introduction of all of you, and you all have very different backgrounds. So when you're answering this question, I want you kind of give a little more of your background in terms of what you think you were doing before that may or may not have prepared you for what you're doing now as a CEO. Like, what was it from that past past life? Um, Maybe it's a past startup in terms of preparing you for being CEO now. And as part of that, was there a role model, or do you have a role model in terms of the type of CEO that you want to be? Mm, all right, I won't make you start, Kathy. We can pump down the line. Oh, God. Um, I think for me, I wish I had started earlier building companies. I, I, I realized looking back that I was always working really, really hard and making other people wealthy, which eventually I caught on to that light bulb in 2007 and realized I'd like to make myself wealthy instead of other people. Um, and so I became an entrepreneur in 2007, but I wish I had started earlier. That's definitely something I, I wish. And, and just when you look back and think about how hard you work, um, to make other companies successful, then you, you know, for me, I think that's, that was a light bulb where I realized I should be an entrepreneur instead of working for the man, if you will, on the agency side. Um, and I think preparing for this role, I would say that I've been in leadership positions for a really long time, so I don't, it wasn't really that hard for me to transition to, to this job. I was president and co-founder, co-founder of the last company, CRO. So for me, it was fairly easy to transition into being CEO. I was pretty much running the company before I got the title. So. And was there anyone in terms of the clients or the agency world that you said, okay, there's a, if I'm ever the CEO, or if, as I am a leader, that's the leader I would like to be like, or someone you'd like to emulate? I mean, I wish I could say that I had. Uh, Maybe there's people a you didn't you didn't want to. Emulate. Yeah, unfortunately, <laughs> I feel like there's more people I wouldn't want to be like than. But um, there's always aspects of different people that I really admire. So for me, it's more of a composite of a lot of different things than one person. I wish I could say I had that one mentor, but I actually really don't. It's kind of just pieces of different people that I've worked with over the years. Cool, Lily. Because um, I mean, talk about your background. Because like I said, you weren't you were in government. Yeah, I know. <laughs> And um, so, you know, my background was in local government and federal government, and that was incredibly useful, obviously, in the work that I'm doing now, because I do have that industry background, and I really understand the people that we're selling to, their mindset, their processes, their restraints, and it helps us innovate faster on it. It helps us move 
uh, quicker to create a product that's really solving some of their um, pain points. And so that has been incredibly valuable in our process, um, everything from product to sales to fundraising, um, because I, I really understand that market. So if you are in another field thinking on how you can innovate in that space, there's nothing better um, than actually having worked in that space yourself. And um, in terms of management experience, I actually came from, so obviously you, you hear government, you don't think innovation necessarily, but I was recruited into this rotational program where they actually wanted you to be this entrepreneur within your local government that you were assigned. And so I had a lot of freedom and autonomy uh, during that time. And so while the transition, as you can imagine, wasn't, um, wasn't that smooth in the sense that I, you know, I didn't come to this job with all of these skill sets built up and, and I didn't have that experience, but I did have the experience of being able to think big and execute on ideas and projects, so. Cool, and in any particular role model is your? That's also a tough question. <laughs> um, well, I, I didn't say this was yeah. gonna be an easy panel. <laughs> I don't have um, necessarily one role model, but I actually do look at, so my father is an entrepreneur uh, of a small business, but I do look at small business owners, and I, I am really inspired just by how much passion is put in, but I think um, the integrity of how a lot of these small businesses are run as well. I just, I look at sort of the, the everyday, um, not just struggle, but work, like effort, and um, that my father has put in, and I really draw from that. Cool. Kelly? So I am also the daughter of an entrepreneur and my dad has like the American dream story, came here, you know, from the old country um, and, you know, didn't know the language and kind of built up um, a business from the ground up. And so as far as that passion and that inspiration and that just can do get it done, um, I think that's where a lot of my inspiration came from. But into, you know, preparing to be a CEO, um, I mean, I don't know if I'm even still prepared now. <laughs> um, you know, you're learning as you go, but I always knew that I wanted to start a company. I always knew that I was really interested in business. Um, I loved building things. And um, I studied entrepreneurship in college, um, which they actually have it as an emphasis, which a lot of people don't know. Um, and I always was kind of starting little businesses as like a young girl. Like I had an eBay shop in high school where I was like selling stuff that I found. Um, and so I always knew I wanted to to start a company. I think where I got like my hands-on experience that I worked in a really aggressive finance sales organization and it was very much a sink or swim. And um, you know, you got your leads from the phone book and you dialed for dollars, you know, kind of like the um, the boiler room. Wow. And um, you know, you you created your own book of business and um, from start to finish. And you had an infrastructure and resources behind you, but you were responsible. And at one point it was 100% commission, um, which I opted into. Um, and I felt that I had control of my own destiny. And then in having a little bit of success there, I then started managing a number of junior kind of salespeople and kind of teaching them my style and how I did it, but also coaching them on how to find their own. And I think that is um, why it's hard to answer the question, who's your mentor? because everyone has their own personal style. And so you take bits and pieces from, I like how this person said that or their outlook on this and you kind of pull it together and you take ownership of it and it becomes your own. So it's really in kind of finding your own style um, that I, I, I experienced it myself from my mentors and I try to kind of pass it off to um, you know, my junior salespeople. 
It's interesting. I was an attorney in New Zealand. Um, that's where I started my career path, and I was a corporate attorney. And I realized one day that I wanted to be on the other side of the table. You know, I, I enjoyed, I loved my job, but that I, I wanted to go do Having it. Having been a lawyer, yeah, being the client is much better than being the lawyer. Yeah. <laughs> Except for if you decide to be a startup entrepreneur. It's like, <laughs> okay. I Equally thought I was going to have less stress. Yeah. Um, but it's interesting because I've had, you know, I've just kind of followed the path, you know, made that decision and I left New Zealand and I moved to New York, you know, kind of on blind faith and made it work. And I, you know, and I've been part of startup teams, but um, Massive, I was part of the founding team. It wasn't like in any way, shape or form, co a co-founder, you know, ground up kind of... Um, kind of an evolution and then Victors and Spoils was, you know, two of us and, but, but I let my co-founder kind of lead the reins a little bit more and I, I, I kind of finished that feeling that very nervous about being CEO, very like unsure about whether I wanted to do that and whether I could do that. Like I think, and it's not to bring up the, the W word, but I think it's a woman, it's a woman's characteristic that we often think that we have to be so much better than where we're at. To or what the role requires. Well, that the role requires. We look at all of the things that we're not good at versus all of the things that we can do. So my path has just been a, a progressive path. And I just, the, the big thing that stepped me into wanting to be, you know, leading with a, with a collaboratively or as a CEO, which I'm actually CEO of one of my other companies, is that I want to do it my way and not in a stubborn, you know, I'm the boss way, but in a, I think there's an evolution of business that needs to take place. And I think we need to change up how we're growing business for great things to come through for this country. And so that's why I wanted to step up because I wanted to find a way to create some change. Good answer. All have been good answers. All right. I think we got time for questions. I think we should open it for questions. I've got lots of questions, and I know Kathy doesn't want me to ask some of them. So let's open it up down here. And I see we've got one way down here. Get our friends from Apple running around. Hi. Um, I think, Kathy, uh, uh, you touched on it, but one question, um, I don't need to know if any of you have kids, but... With two small kids, the idea of growing my business right now, I, I just, I'm, I'm like, everything's all set up, everything's ready to go, but I just feel myself like, is there a way to do, and I don't mean like the lean in and have this big conversation about <laughs> parent, you know, my, but it is a concern on how, can, is there a way to do it where you actually, you know, can also be a fun mom because part of the idea of being an entrepreneur is you have more you have more flexibility but it doesn't really doesn't mean less sound time like that yeah. no. <laughs> i think do you know like i uh, kathy you want to so um yeah that's a great question i i i definitely do don't have balance in my life i'm not going to pretend like that's that's an illusion i think so I don't strive for it. Number one, I don't pressure myself to have something I can't have. And I don't feel guilty. I think that's really important that, you know, the women thing. But we, we tend to feel guilty a lot and put a lot of pressure on ourselves that, that men don't. So I don't, I don't feel guilty when I'm doing something for the company and I, maybe I, I'm not able to put my daughter to bed. I think that's important because you can drive yourself crazy with guilt. 
Um, when I'm with her, I'm present. It's really important as well. I'm not on my phone doing email. I turn off my phone, actually, on the weekends um, so that I can be with her and focus on her. I do that in the morning as well with her. So I think it's important, again, that multitasking thing that I'm kind of against. I don't do that with my daughter. I'm not emailing people and trying to, to talk to her. I'm focused on her. So get rid of the guilt. And focus, you know, when you're at work, you're focused at work. When you're, just try to divide it a little bit if you can. But balance, I would say, I want to speak for everyone, is an illusion. And I don't think you should pressure yourself to try to have it. I think you, you, can, have, you can have it all, but not all at once. So you're, making, you're constantly making choices throughout your life. Uh, and I think that if you're just accepting of that, then it's a lot easier to be happy with where you are. I think when you do that, I don't have kids. I've got stepchildren, but I don't have, they're older. And... Look, I think, I think that when you're doing this, it becomes your life, like full stop. So, so doing any one of the things that we're doing, we're making a decision that that is our life. And everything else becomes secondary, and you have to make that choice. And there are ways that you can make sure you're a part of your child's life or that you're maintaining friendships or whatever if that's important. But it, it becomes that, that becomes a... a like not a, a problem, but it becomes like a, 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 a place where you can't fully focus on what you're doing because you're, you know, I took calls one Friday night and I said to my husband, I'm sorry, but I'm going to be on the phone all night. And he was like, that's fine. That's our life. Like we've made that agreement. And I think you have to make that choice. I mean, I'm not, again, I'm not a parent, but I think you have to know that going in. Otherwise you're going to constantly feel guilty and constantly feeling like you're doing a bad job across the spectrum. It's a good week when I've done laundry. Taking <laughs> <laughs> shower. Yeah, yeah. yeah, it's a good week. Wash my hair. Good week. <laughs> I have just one thing to add as a disclaimer that um, I think that running a business is um, there's different scales of it, and I think um, everyone sitting up here has um, opted in or subscribed to um, a more aggressive. Um, type of running a business. So when you take investor capital, venture capital, there is an elevated um, level of pressure to perform. There's an expectation of an outcome. My sister, who I worked with previously, she has a phenomenal business, um, the quintessential lifestyle business. And everyone says lifestyle. It's like, oh, that's a cute lifestyle business. Her business does very well. She... Um, is, um, but she has more ability to, she's got no investors. She, it's, it's a very profitable business. And she's able to have that flexibility where she sets her schedule. She brings her daughter to work. She's got a, a nine month old. And while we're both um, business owners and we're both entrepreneurs, they're very different paths. And she has 100% control of, you know, how much time she wants to put in. She wants to lean in. She wants to put in more time. She can do that with what I've signed up for, and I think a lot of us have signed up for, is an accelerated, aggressive path. And um, don't be scared away by the things that we're saying. <laughs> um, because we, we've subscribed to something um, maybe above and beyond just running a business, and you can run a successful business and have a little more flexibility. Um, but there's a difference, I think, um, that needs to kind of like be the little asterisks. Right. Right, and it's, and, it's, and I think it's you know as, as you've all have said, it's it's that what have you signed up to when you decided to be an entrepreneur? And well, um, 
it's sort of like my comment I made at the beginning that the tech and the startup press glamorizes all of this because you know if you really did say what it was all like you know no one would sign up for it um, but you realize it's your calling and this is what you need to do and as you said everything else falls to secondary and you just can't feel guilty and you know think that by becoming an entrepreneur or a small business owner you know, the owner of a lifestyle business that all of a sudden, you know, doves are going to fly out and everything's going to be balanced and the roses and are going to smell And lifestyle's not a bad thing. Like, oh. honestly, sometimes oh. I look at it, I'm like, damn. Yeah, I know. You have oh. the best life. Oh, exactly. <laughs> yeah, That's why it's, it's called lifestyle. It's <laughs> funny, though. I mean, I think that it's such a great point that you make and I, it's so true, but I don't know any other way. This is who I am. That's true. Yeah. yeah. So... I am obsessive. I can't do something by halves. I'm trying to do three rather than, you know. And and so I think that, I think it's about knowing who you are, you know, and, and there, yeah, there's nothing wrong with lifestyle business. There's also nothing wrong with having a, a normal job if that's what's right for you. Right, and I was going to yeah. say, it's so natural. You know, I, I don't think any one of us are up here by accident. Everything I've ever done, whether it's school, whether it's a job, working for the government, it was always intense. <laughs> you know, I was always very passionate, and I was always nonstop, whether it was juggling other things in my life. I, you know, I'm not a mother right now, but certainly there are other priorities as well. And, um, you know, it's it's something that, that you learn to deal with, with all of your other priorities at every stage in life. And um, it, it has become very natural, but I think if you do have that personality where you are just very intense and, and obsessive and passionate, then you'll find this lifestyle, I think, very uh, natural. And so, yeah, I, I don't want this <laughs> conversation to scare folks either. Exactly. So. When you answer what's your hobby with job, then you know you're in the right place. Question down this end. Hi. So um, you mentioned earlier in terms of, you know, investors, you know, fund, you know, the person. Um, what do you think, and anybody can answer this question, beyond the idea that you were funded initially, whether in your first venture? So, so what, in terms of what they look, what, investors look for when they're going to fund something? Or no, what quality in you, if, oh. the, if the funder, if the VCs are interested in the person, my question to you is, what quality do you think made your first idea fundable to them? Why did they invest in you? For me, um, it was my first startup, so they shouldn't have invested in me probably, but um, <laughs> they... I think it was my track record. I had 20 years of experiencing on the agency side and what I had achieved there I think was very attractive to them because my job on the agency side was to close multi-million dollar contracts and bring in new business to the agency. So I think that they saw that as very uh, a very transferable skill to bringing a company to market and to, to make it successful. Um, but I, I was kind of shocked. I mean, I closed $10 million in... Um, a series A without any revenue on the books just based on the idea and, and three other team members. So I think they needed to see a track record with all three of us. It, it couldn't just be one person, by the way, because I asked all VCs and they said it has to be the team pretty holistically. They might see a bad apple and want to get rid of them, but it usually has to be all of you. And they tend to make a decision within three to five minutes on whether or not they're going to continue the conversation with you, by the way. So you have three, you have three minutes, really, to capture their attention and, and move the conversation down the line. So um, that's not a lot of time. But they make a pretty blink decision on whether or not they're going to talk to you again about investing. 
sounds harsh, but it is. Hard, it's the yeah. truth. It's the truth. And I can attest to that. I was actually in a similar position, first company. And um, I think one of the reasons that made us fundable was not only my experience in the sector that I was innovating in, um, but also the fact that I had already proven a model out. And so we did um, a lot of pilot testing. We were post-revenue, although definitely not profitable at the time. Um, and th and that's, those are the data points that they had. You know, they don't know me. And I, I certainly uh, didn't have a name in starting companies at that point. And so that's what they need to feel confident that they can continue talking to me. That their three minutes worth of time turned into 30, turned into, you know, uh, many weeks of, of getting to know me, and their time is valuable. And I think um, they they need that that those valid data points that um, there's something behind what you're doing. Cool. All right. I think we have a question over here. Hi. <clears throat> I'm wondering, as you talk about hiring, are you guys interested in exploring, or are you currently doing any sort of remote um, workforce as for part of your employees? Does that work for you? My whole business was set up on that. <laughs> so, Claudia, take this question. <laughs> so Victors and Spoils was an advertising agency built on crowdsourcing. So what we did was we amassed a small group within Boulder, Colorado, but all of the briefs that we got in from our clients, we deployed to the crowd. So we would put them in open or private briefings depending on what the client needed and have the, the crowd work on it. So it's a great model. There's a lot of... You know, and I think it's something that could be deployed in part or in in full in a, in a, any company. Um, but there's a lot of there's a lot of gotchas. There's a lot of things that work and things that don't work. But the exciting thing is when you when you realize that you can get talent from. We had this wonderful woman Anna who did some work from Serbia, and she was such a talent. And to see her deliver work against big U.S. brands, which you knew was a big deal for her to work on, that you were paying her well in U.S. dollars, and that you were delivering this like phenomenal work through to the client was just such a reward. So I'm a big fan of it, um, and I think there's still a lot of scope for that, as I said, in new businesses, sole or or bring it into current businesses. Kelly, are you, all your 15 people here, or do you have anyone working remotely? So we. So there's, I don't know if you're talking about like outsourcing or actually a remote, like letting employees work remote. Um, so when we first started, um, our development team was in Toronto and I thought that, that would work because it was only like, you know, an hour plane ride. Um, and I think if you're starting a technology business, you absolutely need to have that technology in-house. What they did help me get to was a prototype. And so I learned a lot in that process. Um, you know, we do you know, in our organization, we can't always compete on salary. We can't always compete on, you know, the best benefits, um, although we try. Um, so one of the things that I, I offer um, to my, my team members is um, lifestyle design. So if it is important to you to work from home two days a week or work remote, um, I absolutely do whatever I can in my power to make that um, possible for them. Um, knowing that sometimes as the business changes that those things might also evolve and change as the business grows. Um, but I, I think that it's actually great to give people that flexibility and um, happy people um, make better employees, make a better company, make a better world. <laughs> grow, grow, grow a better company. Good. So we want one more question. 
So this is, I guess, for everybody. Um, you, I mean, you're working in startups, especially tech startups. It's very, e I mean, it's not easy, uh, but it is quite possible that you'll have other companies that are doing the exact same thing or something very similar. So how do you keep changing, innovating your business constantly so that you know they, they come to you first? So yeah, what's sort of how do you keep your company on track? Because there is there's always competitors. Investors want to know about competitors, but you can't be iterating every day and you know whipsawing your company. So how do you keep your company on track? And the competitors at bay. I think for us, we um, we've been able to maintain a pretty good two-year lead on um, the com our competitive set in terms of our positioning, which is difficult to do. I know that'll change though. I mean, I, it's it's impossible to own that. That what we own, which is intent targeting forever. Um, but I do think that we're constantly thinking about, we're staying germane to our value prop, but constantly looking to the future about how we can execute slightly differently than other people to stay ahead of the competition. So that is something we're very focused on, uh, tweaking our story and evolving our story to stay ahead of the market. I think that's really important in ad tech because there are me too companies that come out of the woodwork that copy what you're doing or claim to do what you're doing and they're not really um, when you look under the hood that's not how they're truly delivering against uh, for advertisers so for us I think we've you know Emily should probably answer that too but I think we've done a pretty good job of staying ahead of, of our competitors in terms of evolving our story and our technology not just the story you have to evolve the technology too well I think that's part of it is what you're saying is that looking ahead because I think that if you're always looking behind and see what the, or oh my god the competitors are doing this um, but it's not just the competitors or other startups sometimes it's competitors who are big companies and Kelly you know I'm looking at you <laughs> so how in terms of you know Staying the course and staying ahead and not kind of going, you know, the big guy or the little guy is trying to, you know, nipping at your heels. So the fun thing about starting a company is you're creating something from scratch. And the goal is that you hope to inspire innovation within an, your industry, right? And you disrupt it. And um, if you're on to something, people are going to be looking at you and they're going to pay attention. And that's nothing but a sign of validation of what you're doing is very valuable. So that means keep going. And that means keep going fast and strong and hard. Um, I think it's really important. Um, early on, I constantly would hear of people popping up that were saying they were doing something similar. And I used to get that, like, uh-oh, panic feeling. And um, over time, I started realizing, you know, I stopped getting those feelings because those companies would come and then they would go. So really... Um, Focusing on your vision, maniacally focus on it. Like, what are you trying to do and just get there? Two, I think um, you got to think about what makes your business defensible, right? Like, what is it that makes your, put some walls up around you. And is it your, is it your team? Is it your execution? Is it you have, you know, some secret sauce, I don't know, thing in your contract, whatever it is. But you have to have barriers that you put up around you that differentiate you. And then three, if you don't, you have to be very good at one thing, and that's called building a brand. And if you can, I think a lot of companies have done, you know, there might be five people doing the same thing, but one person is so good at telling their story and so good at connecting um, with an audience. And so I think that um, building a beautiful brand or building a brand that people connect with is um, the most authentic way to create barriers for um, other people other competitors. 
Yeah, I, th I mean, it, there's so much fodder, and this, it's a great question. There's, there's, there's so much depth. I think the, the biggest thing that I would say, and it was pretty intensely um, competitive with Massive. Um, there were a couple of other players in the market, and I, th I think that all of you know the, the comments so far are absolutely right. I, th I think the, the biggest thing for me too is a not to dismiss your competition. So it's very easy to be like, well, we're you know we're better and, and have that bravado. So I think being really conscious of your competitor competitor and never to get nasty. I, I feel like that was really important just to to stay the course, to be smart, to do what you're doing, to stick with your vision and just never never drop yourself and get into competition with that person. There's typically a lot of market share. So if you focus on them too much, you'll miss the big picture about the market share that's truly there. And you can also always grow the market even if the market share isn't available. So yeah, keep your eye on the prize. It's expending <laughs> energy, like anything yeah. gets energy. So. Yeah you have to focus that energy and say, what's the best use of your, of, of your energy and focus it on that, which is usually going forward. Yeah, and one of the things that we do is really making sure our company is seen as a thought leader in the space and that we are the innovative company. So for every single local government, county, state that signs up with us, not only do we want them to get the best product in the market, but we want them to know that every single quarter of every single year that they renew with us, they're getting the most innovative feature sets out there, and we're coming out with them first, and they're valid, they're tested, and um, you know, it, it takes a lot of work beyond our product to do that. It's really building, going back to building your brand, but also making sure that you have people on your team that can tell those stories, that can go to those events, and, and really make sure that you're vocal and you're active in your space. Excellent. Thank you. And thank you to Josh and his team here in the Soho store. Absolutely. Thank you. And please, everybody, a warm round of applause for our guests this evening. Of course, Kelly Hoey, Kelly, Kelly, Kathy, Lily, and Claudia. Thank you so much for coming in tonight.